Hi guys and welcome back to Soot and Whitewash. This is, I believe, show number 13. Unlucky for some, maybe. Let us know by the time we finish the end of it whether it's unlucky for you. So in this show, there is possibly the most important news that could have happened anywhere. I'll reveal that to you at the start of the show. We get into uh, basics of pinhole photography, um, answering a question from a listener. I retract a little bit of a statement about a camera that I discussed a few weeks back. There's a shout out for um, a nice new film venture that's going on on Instagram. And I tell you guys how much I love a certain film stock that I spoke about the other week. If that sounds like something you want to listen to, stay with me. I'll be back after this. Hey everybody and welcome back to the show. Seems like a while since I've recorded an episode. I don't think it has. Uh, I think it was the last week I recorded a little bit early just to get pushed out while I was away for the weekend. But anyway, let's start with the most important news that could possibly have happened anywhere within the photographic community this week. Dun 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 dun! My reality so subtle 6x6F has arrived, direct from Mr. James Gurin. Thank you, James. Awesome. Came really quickly over from France to the UK. Not quite quick enough for, for it to arrive in time for me to come away for the weekend, but never mind. More on that later. That's not any fault of James, obviously. I just didn't order it in time. And I don't, certainly don't hold that against him at all. Uh, packaged wonderfully. Uh, arrived in one piece. Not even a, not even a dent in the cardboard box. Uh, nicely wrapped up. Even came with a simple get you up and running sheet on how to, how to load it up with uh, 120 film and start making exposures. Um, it's nice and simple. A few features on the camera. 0.1. One five millimeter precision pinholes, um, effective aperture of one sixty uh, f one sixty at a twenty four millimeter focal length. Have any of you guys used one of these before? I'm so so excited to run a film through through this one. Uh, regular listeners to both Soot and Whitewash and the Lenses podcast will know that I borrowed one uh, a while back uh, from Mr. Andrew Bartram. Thanks again, Andrew. And I I had to have one of my own. It's such a fun easy to use camera that every single time gave me a, a fantastic well, in my opinion a fantastic image I had to have one absolutely fantastic so if you haven't seen one of these before they are correct me if i'm wrong if you have uh, like injection molded plastic really simple just uh, as you know just a pinhole camera is nothing more than a light type box with a hole in it and this is just a bit of a posh one so you uh, spool your film, slot it in the top, um, just attach it to your take-up spool or attach the end of the paper backing to the take-up spool while it's out of the camera and then you slot it in just to, sort of in the back, it's fairly self-explanatory. Screw the top on, uh, James has included a, a, a bubble level on the top so that you sort of can get your nice sort of straight horizons. It's got um, etched framing lines on the top and on the side both sides as well so that helps you uh, sort of line up your exposures and it's really as simple as that you've got two uh, advanced knobs on the top so you can roll it forward you can also roll it backwards for your intentional double exposures or if you miss a, a frame or anything like that 
red window on the back that's covered up nicely with a little sliding window. Tripod socket in the bottom. 52mm thread, filter thread on the front. Uh, this is the F model, um, so it comes with a filter thread. F is presumably for filter. And then just a sliding plastic shutter over the top of it. Magnetic one, I believe it is. Yeah. And that's it. Simple as that. I'd advise you to go and hit, and hit Andrew up. Maybe he'll let you uh, <laughs> borrow his one. Anyway, you're certainly not borrowing mine just yet anyway. So that's it. Most important news in the photographic community is my favourite camera has finally arrived. So going to be out shooting that hopefully fairly soon. <coughs> going to take a quick break and that camera will lead me on to a, a nice little lead on into an email that I received um, about pinhole. So stay with me. I'll be back in just a minute. Okay, so as I said, that should lead me nicely onto an email that I had um, into the Soot and Whitewash account from Mr. Bruce Fisher. Uh, Bruce is uh, on Instagram. He's at at Kernow underscore film photography. I'll spell that as K-E-R-N-O-W underscore film photography. Um, he sent in, hi Neil, maybe a question for the podcast. What key advice stroke guidance would you give to someone, brackets, like me lol, beginning a pinhole photography journey? Thinking for me about film film speeds, exposure times, understanding and manage, managing reciprocity, etc. But anything else you think might be relevant. Thanks in advance, Bruce Fisher. Now, that's a good question, Bruce. Thank you very much for sending that in. Um, pinhole, um, I do know... Not being funny, I do know quite a bit about. Um, it's what I predominantly shoot now. Um, and as I said in a, a previous podcast, I am studying um, for my master's uh, in photography, and that is all based on pinhole. So I have done quite a bit of research into the topic. Um, so, yeah, the basics. How basic do we want to go? So I made a few notes um, already on what I think might be useful to both Bruce and anyone else that's potentially listening and interested in the subject so we'll go through them so pinhole photography is probably the most basic way of recording an image um, as it can use nothing more than a just a light type box with a small pinhole in it and some form of light uh, sensitive substrate i.e your film or maybe your photographic paper or even a, a digital sensor if you're doing it digitally so the light passes through this pinhole um, and then a scene the, so the, the scene is projected and recorded onto onto this chosen substrate. Now this light needs to be controlled, so a simple shutter is used to cover the pinhole, and that can be anything from something as simple as just a piece of electrical tape if you're using a homemade pinhole camera, or it could be something much more elaborate, such as a sliding the sliding door mechanism on the Reality So Subtle, like I mentioned earlier, or on uh, Todd Schlemmer's Terrapin cameras. And it really is, um, that's pinhole photography at its most basic level. A box and some way of controlling the light that goes in through the hole. <clears throat> but like any other type of photography, pinhole photography makes use of the exposure triangle. So your shutter speed, aperture and your ISO and the relationship between the three. I'm not going to go into the exposure triangle here, I'm sure that most of you I imagine already got a grasp on it. If not, have a quick Google. Um, there's sort of many interactive demonstrations available that explain it sort of simply. Um, I've used them many times to sort of teach uh, school kids about sort of the exposure triangle. 
they're nice and simple to use. So in a nutshell, basically your shutter speed is obviously how quickly the shutter is opened and closed and therefore how much light can reach your film or your substrate, whatever you're using. Your aperture, as you probably know, is the size of the hole for which the light can enter. That also regulates the amount of light that can reach the substrate. And your ISO is the sensitivity of your substrate. So your photographic film, your paper, or indeed your digital sensor. Um, an analogy that I've used a few times with the with my students is about aperture. Some people do find aperture a bit sort of tricky to understand. Um, so think of it like a bucket of water um, with a hose. So if you were to fill your bucket of water with a hose pipe, just a standard Commonwealth Garden hose pipe, you'll fill it slowly due to the small diameter of the pipe. And you can look at the water in the pipe as uh, like time. So the longer the, the time, the, or, sorry, look at the water like light. So the longer the time, the longer the shutter speed. Uh, if you were to fill that same bucket with uh, something like a fire hose, you'll fill it quickly. It's got a wider diameter on the pipe. More water can pass through, fills it quicker. So you get quicker shutter speed and quicker time with more light. Um, as a pinhole has a very small aperture, therefore you need a much, much more light. So the pinhole has a, a, a very small aperture, so the amount of time required to let through the appropriate amount of light is extended. So that's why pinhole is sort of a go-to for like long exposures, isn't it? So anyway, rambling on. A good place to start, I reckon, to learn the basics would, in my opinion, be an SLR with a a pinhole set into the body cap. So I spoke with Corey Cannon of the Lenses podcast a few, maybe a month or so back, uh, about doing just this. It's a really simple technique and it allows you to sort of try pinhole at very minimal cost. Um, a few quid, a couple of buck maybe for a body cap if you if you haven't already got one for your SLR or you just don't want to sacrifice the existing one. Literally, I've done it where you just drill uh, maybe a 10 millimeter hole in the body cap and then you mount a pinhole um, into that hole. Um, do it nicely as you like or just do it with gaffer tape. I've ended up gaffer taping the uh, James Gurin's Realities of Subtle pinholes. Uh, he sells them separately. Um, you can buy them separately. I can sort of fix them inside the body cap. Works absolutely perfectly. Um, or if you don't want to go, if you really want to go old school, a bit of just tin foil with a small hole punched into it will work just the same. Uh, just remember that the more accurate and smooth the edges of the pinhole are that you're making, so if you're making it, make it well, uh, the sharper your image should be. Um, there's many, many mathematical equations available on that subject. Um, I have studied them extensively, um, but they're not for... You don't really need to know that for the beginning. I'm not going to go into that here. So, yeah, using an SLR, it allows you to obviously use commercially available 35mm film like you would normally, so therefore you've got the same great choice of film speeds, you can uh, choose your colour neg, your black and white, your slide film, all of that standard stuff is still available to you, even if you're shooting pinhole. Um, your wind-on will get your frames spaced evenly, so they'll space just like you were using a normal lens camera, and as it's 35mm, it's, um, it's still the same easy process to um, get it sort of developed, processed and scanned whether you sort of choose to do that yourself or you send it out. It's all exactly the same. Um, I found as well that you can you can mix it up. Obviously, um, you can take off your your pinhole body cap halfway through a roll and you can put your lens back on 
you can mix up, sometimes shoot pinhole, sometimes shoot sort of lens, lens photography. You don't have to commit yourself to a whole roll. So just uh, my opinion on that. Um, what are we going to next? I would recommend using slow film. Um, part of the draw of pinhole to me is the sort of long exposure times. I normally use FP4, which is uh, ISO 125. Um, Acros, which my stock is now dwindling, that's uh, ISO 100, so sort of slow films. You can obviously get slower, and I've shot slower, but those are my two sort of normal go-tos. That and uh, Delta 100 as well. So y you're going to be using long exposures anyway, so you may as well use a finer film, and they might extend your exposure a little bit longer. It's, that's really your call on what you want to do. Unless, obviously, you want grain, in which case use a faster grainier film, I suppose. <clears throat> Um, yeah, talking of faster films, I know that the aforementioned Andrew Bartram, he recently made some beautiful exposures, uh, I forget on what camera, but on a, using Ilford Delta 3200, so it's perfectly doable, it's perfectly possible, it's just a matter of whether you like the aesthetic or the grain, I suppose. Just remember that your minimum shutter speed is regulated by the amount of time you can physically open and close your camera's shutter. So if you are using an SLR and you it will have your selectable shutter speeds on it, presumably. You might get lucky that 125th of a second with a really fast film is what you want, or a 60th, sorry, or a 30th, or whatever you can dial in. But chances are you'll probably be using bold mode. <coughs> Excuse me. So you'll have to just remember, as quickly as you can open and close the shutter, that's the sort of minimum shutter speed that you, that you can get. So I suppose if the idea of 35mm doesn't interest you, there's no reason you couldn't do the same with like a medium format SLR. Um, the Bronica ETRS springs to mind simply because I have one. Works in the same way. Could you do it with a Hasselblad? Presumably. A camera that has a body cap. Presumably you could do it on a uh, body cap and bulb mode, I guess. Um, or you could really go simple and old school and make your own. As I said, it can be as simple as just a, a box with um, a pinhole on one end. And you can put a piece of darkroom paper in it. Just a little bit of tape on the shutter, tape it all up, you've got yourself a one-shot pinhole camera. Um, yeah, just with regards to that, remember that <clears throat> Excuse me. if you're using darkroom paper, you need to load it under red light. You'll also need the chemicals to process it, uh, again, under red light. So ideally you'll have a, a full darkroom set up, or at least a, an area that you can convert into a temporary darkroom. So that's, you need to remember that. Also remember as well, you won't have, if you're making one, chances are you won't have a tripod socket. If it's just a shoebox or something, it might be quite light, so longer exposures, you may well need to hold it down, weight it down or something. At the other end of the spectrum, there are many commercially available cameras available. Uh, as I've harped on many times, the reality is so subtle. The cameras um, are great. I've got the 6x6F now, as I said. Um, it's affordable, it uses 120 film, shoots six by six square images and the F models have a filter ring so you can use uh, things like your ND filters, infrared filters, with no problem at all. This one even comes with a body cap as well. Um, Zero image, they make many different ones, uh, different frame sizes. Maybe they do a 35 millimeter one, I'm not sure, but they definitely do 120 models, four by fives, probably larger ones. Undo, they make them probably the same. Uh, Todd Schlemmer, um, check his stuff out. He, I believe, has an Etsy store uh, where he sells his own um, 3D printed um, pinhole cameras. So I'm just uh, 
on the fly looking up to see what his uh, Etsy store is. Bear with me just one second, sorry. Uh, yes, so he does have an Etsy store called the Schlaboratory, uh, spelled S-C-H and then Laboratory. I'll put that in the show notes. Um, but he um, he sells his pinhole cameras on there. Um, he's also selling um, the dual winder cap for the zero image um, pinhole cameras. Uh, where are we? Doesn't look like at the moment he's got any of his actual pinhole cameras on there. Um, he is selling the parts. He's definitely sold them on there before. He has 6x6 ones. I think he has 6x9 ones as well. So it might be worth sort of having a look at um, his site, get in contact with him if there's anything that you particularly that you particularly want. Um, who else have we got? There's obviously the, the Vermeer ones. Have a listen back to a couple of weeks ago on the Lenses podcast again, where I guest hosted with Andrew Barcham and we sort of had a chat with um, the guy behind Vermeer cameras. So yeah, there's plenty of commercially ones available is basically what I was trying to say. So what else did you ask there, Bruce? Ah, reciprocity failure rates. So reciprocity failure rates can, in my experience, people, some people do find it hard to get their head around. But in a nutshell, the longer the film is exposed to light, the less reactive to the light it becomes, if that makes sense. It means that as you as your exposure times increase, you need to add more time to account for the fact that the film is becoming less reactive. So you may have a film that um, the exposure time should be a second, but if it suffers badly from reciprocity failure, you may have to add a further nine seconds, say, to get a decent exposure, making that sort of ten times as long. Um, they can run long, if it, particularly if you're using low light and a film that does suffer from it badly. Some films require it more than others. Uh, Acros required very little uh, compensation until you got to longer speeds. In my experience, the other Pan F50 requires a huge amount of compensation after just a, there's a couple of seconds. So um, do, um, I mean, hit me up if you like. I can give you... Um, uh, curves and rates and times but the simplest way of doing it and these figures are directly from zero themselves um, basically if you've got a two to four second exposure multiply the indicated time by two if you've got a four to ten second exposure multiply it by five uh, 50 seconds and over multiply it by 12 between 10 seconds and 50 seconds i've got no idea what you do there but those those figures are quoted by zero image themselves so you shouldn't really be able to go wrong with those. And that's probably about it. Finally, just though, pinhole assist. Have you heard of pinhole assist? I think it's possibly iPhone only, which is a bit of a shame. But it's an app that by default comes loaded with the details of many commercially uh, made pinhole cameras. And it's the idea of it is to, you show it the scene that you're going to photograph with your pinhole camera, it will tell you how long to expose for. So it's a light meter, basically. Um, so where was I? So yeah, the focal lengths and pinhole sizes um, all have of these different cameras have an effect on the exposure time. So um, you can basically you can go in there and say I've got a Rianti Subtle six by six and I'm using Ilford FB four and it will tell you um, how long to expose for when looking at what the what the camera on the phone is looking at. So it'll meter the scene, calculate the exposure time based on this sort of combination. You can also input your own 
your own detail. So if you make um, your own camera or you're using a pinhole body cap, just tell it the focal length for the camera, which you can work out easily. It's just the distance from the film plane to where your film sits, the distance from there to your pinhole. Simple as that. Just open up the back of your SLR and use a ruler, measure as best you can, or if you're going to do it properly, use a, a micrometer. Um, just put that figure into pinhole assist, tell it the size of the pinhole that you've got. So pinholes you can either, like I say, you can use the commercially made laser ones or acid etched ones, or you can sort of drill your own or a micro drill bit. You should know really what pinhole size you're using if you're drilling it yourself or if you're buying them. So just plumb that detail into the app and you're good to go. Um, a lot of the films on there come loaded with their own reciprocity failure curves built into the app. Um, but you can obviously experiment, you can add your own, do what you like. Um, I've, I do this, but it is a bit more sort of in depth than what I need to get into it for sort of beginners. Um, you can, another good thing with it is it allows you to sort of save the data that it recommended. So you can, you can hit like a save button. I think you maybe even might be able to take notes in it, but I tend to use a notebook for that. Uh, shout out to Mike Padre's photo memory books for those. So that's it. So in a nutshell, it's really simple. You can do it with something as simple as, a, I don't know, a shoebox, or you can buy, you, or you can just go out and buy a commercially made one. I've made them myself out of tin cans, out of books, out of tins. If you can gaffer tape it up and hold a pinhole in it and hold a piece of paper in it, then it'll work. It's really, really fun. And Bruce, I hope that helps you out and anyone else sort of looking at starting this uh, pinhole journey, I suppose. Um, if I have missed anything or anything in that sort of rambling wasn't very clear, just hit me up with an email, sootandwhitewash at gmail.com, if that's any of you. Um, or get onto the Anchor app and find me on there. Drop me a voice message if there's anything that you feel that I've missed. Okay, so that, oh Christ, that section was about almost 20 minutes long that was a lot longer than i expected it to be so apologies for that um i'm going to take a quick break collect my thoughts and then we'll be back after this cheers okay next up i want to give another massive shout out to mark who is mark whose surname i couldn't pronounce uh, i think it's mark prestige um, who is at a underscore life underscore lived on instagram and now a couple of weeks back maybe um, I um, said in a, in a show that he'd sent me, he'd been kind enough to hook me up with this photo Kodak photo micrography film and that I'd had processed some in Rodinol and it actually come out and I was quite happy with it. Since then I have scanned these images and wow, this, sorry, they are amazing. I'm looking at uh, a couple of them right now. Now, as I said, the when you look at the negs, they were quite dense. There's sort of an orangey, browny sort of base on it. So I'm not sure. I think they were processed like old E4 process or something, something that doesn't exist. And I stand developed them in, in Rodinol. So it wasn't the right developer. It wasn't in the right process. But man, have they come out. Now, it's a very slow film anyway. Uh, I think it was rated... At maybe 12 and I shot it at 6 basically I think I'm pretty sure I shot this at ISO 6 maybe 12 something ridiculously slow anyway um, maybe it was rated at 30 something 
I can't remember. I shot it very, very slow. Um, so handheld, even on a nice sort of bright day, it was still sort of 60th of a second at, at sort of minimum. But man, these come out. This film is amazing. The blacks are black, the whites are white, and the contrast in it. This is the film I've been looking for. It's absolutely incredible. It's oh, I don't. I I'm gonna. I'll post some some a couple of pictures um, up on the on the certain whitewash Instagram page, just so you can see it. And I hope you sort of appreciate it as much as I do. I cannot say enough good things about this particular film. If you can get hold of some of it, get it. The it's because it's so fine grain. I'm looking at the pictures now on my on my Mac screen, and I'm. If I say I can see the grain, I'd be lying. It's that they're that clean. I, re I really, I can't. I can see the textures in like brick walls and things. Maybe there's a bit of grain. Maybe that's the texture. What I can't see. It's so fine. But Mark, this stuff is this stuff is great, and I'm really thankful for you uh, sending it out. I may have to just try and find some more of this stuff because this stuff is great. So that was it. I just wanted to give just wanted to give Mark. Uh, Another shout out because that was awesome that he sent me, he sent me that stuff. So that's Mark. He's at a life lived, uh, sorry at underscore life underscore. What did I say? Mark, at a underscore life underscore lived. Sorry, it's getting late and I've got a bit of a headache, and I'm struggling to read off screen. Uh, go give him a follow. Go hit him up. He's got some great work on his uh, on his page uh, as well. And he's also got, um, just looking, he's also got a personal website where it looks like he's, do, he's doing some uh, some lino cutting. What have you got to do there? Some lino cutting and some prints. That's actually really quite cool, Mark. Anyway, if you go over to it, I'll have a better look at that later. Um, looks like he's printing CD covers as well. Wow, I should have looked at this before I came on and recorded, Mark. That looks really quite cool. Um, you can have a look at that, www.driftpress.com. I don't know if that's where you work, Mark, or if that's a sort of sideline or something you do on in your spare time, but that stuff looks really cool. Go and go and hit that up, everyone. That's uh Okay, so just finally in this uh, episode, I'm just gonna give a, another shout out. Um this time to an Instagram account called Hip Shoot Film. Um H I P Shoot Film, all one word. Uh now this uh, account is run by a chap called Ben. Sorry, Ben, I don't know your surname. Um, but he contacted me the other day uh, just to have a little request about um, asking whether I'd spread the word on a little venture that he's he set up. Um, so this this venture is called the Film Stock Swap, and from what I have read of it, um, it sounds like a really cool idea. So I'm going to just read um, when you go to the website. I'm just going to read what he's what he's got set up here. So calling all film hoarders, stashers and collectors. Do you have film sitting in your fridge or freezer you're never going to use? Is there some film out there you'd love to try? Then Hip Shoot Film is here to connect you with someone to trade film with. All formats considered from 35mm to shoot film. So basically what Ben, the idea that Ben has set up is a, it's a Google Docs form, um, which most of you are probably familiar with, where you can basically log in, go on there, Say, I've got X, Y, and Z that I'm never going to use. Anyone wanting to swap for anything else? So I think that's the, the, the simple premise of that. Um, they just ask that trades trades are based on the cash equivalent as a baseline. 
And then the example he uses is that one roll of Sinister 800 might be worth two rolls of HP5. I'm assuming he's done the, the pricing and the maths there, I haven't. And But it's all, however, down to the individual user's expectation and what they're happy to trade. So basically, I think you go on there, like you say, you, it's down to you, I think, what you what you trade for. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ben, if that's uh, if that's wrong. But I think it's basically down to I may contact Ben and say, I notice you've got some Acros say, would you be willing to swap for this? It's up to then up to him then to say yes or no. That's the that's the um, the premise that I get. So they just um, what does he say on here? All film should be stored well in either a fridge, freezer, or equivalent, basically, so that whoever you are sending to knows has some sort of assurance that they're going to be getting a decent roll of film out of it. That's only that's only polite. That's only a decent thing to do. Um, you might keep it outside in a cold garage if you live in a cold country, but trades work on the community being honest and ensuring only stock that has been looked after has been traded. So there you go. You've got some sort of, I know that I'm going to get a decent roll of film and not get fobbed off of something rubbish, basically. And they ask for just that film be kept sealed and dry. Understandable. And it says, once a trade is matched with someone, you'll be contacted uh, to open discussions to ensure you get a deal that you're happy with. So yeah, like I say, I assume that means any sort of final deals any final swaps are down between you and the person you're paired with um, they would like a photo of the film that you are looking to trade makes sense I guess prove that you've got it prove that it's in the sort of condition that they expect it to be and you can list many forms in the submission so I haven't uh, signed up for this yet but I think what happens is you go into your Google Docs form uh, fill in the stuff, I am so-and-so of so-and-so address, and I've got 10 rolls of this, 12 rolls of this that I'm never going to use. And then people can see what's what's on offer and just, yeah, strike up a conversation, I think, through um, Hip Shoot's film. Hip Shoot film, sorry. Um, and you can have a conversation and just share. That's one of the great things I like about the film community is that people are willing to share and lend and swap. And it's not all about the money, you know? which, yeah, coming from someone who's got very little money, is a very refreshing thing to see. So, yeah, there you go, Ben. Film stock swap. Um, it's got a very long-winded... I don't know if it's actually got a, a website. If you if you go over to Instagram, look up Ben. He's at HipShootFilm. I'll put his uh, account in the, in the show notes. Um, I will put the rather long uh, website address in the show notes as well. So if that sounds like something that you're maybe interested in, getting some different film that you've never tried go and have a look you might you uh you might find might find something that you want and if you like it give him a retweet uh give him a whatever the equivalent is on instagram i don't know if he even know if he's even on twitter if he's on twitter give him a retweet if he's, he is on instagram give him a whatever the equivalent is just get the idea out there to as many people that you think might be interested even if they're not interested tell them anyway Let's get the idea out. It sounds awesome. So there you go, Ben. That's your shout out for the film stock swap. Great idea. And as soon as I get five minutes to sign up with a form, I will definitely do that. And I think that's about all we've got for for this show. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, just yeah, one last final one last final thing before we wrap this up. Now, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of shows ago, whenever it was, I done a review. If you remember, of the Minolta Riva Panorama. 35mm panoramic camera. Now, 
I was less than pleasant. I didn't really enjoy the camera that much. It made some nice sharp images, but it didn't really do it for me. And I'm pretty sure I said that I was going to retire it and probably never use it again. Well, when I went away this weekend, last weekend, I took it with me. Don't ask me why. I just did. I took it with me and I loaded it with an old expired roll 2007 vintage of Jessup's Diamond Everyday Color Negative Film. Jessup's, for, I've mentioned Jessup's before, um, I think. Jessup's for you guys outside of the UK. I don't think it ever made outside of the UK. It used to be a photographic retailer here in the UK before they went bust uh, a few years back. And they now are sort of on the, they are now coming back. But anyway, they used to have their own branded film. Probably wasn't theirs, but they used to have their name on it. Anyway, I plonked a 36 exposure roll of this into the Minolta. And I went to the Eden Project, um, which is in Cornwall. And look it up, it's a fantastic place. Basically, it's a couple of big biodomes um, that uh, simulate different climates. So they have all manner of strange, fantastic plants there. Doesn't sound that interesting when I talk about it, but it really was. But I took the Minolta Reaver Panorama there, and I actually, as much as I don't want to admit it, I enjoyed using it. It's there's. I still stand by what I said in the in the in the show about it. It if a camera has got a lack of functions, then it needs to do them well. And I don't agree with some of the choices that they made when they were designing that camera. But the fact that it is a purely panoramic that you can't swap different masks out works really well. It makes you think about your photography differently when you are working to that three to one, two to one, whatever the ratio was. When you're working to that image crop, that ratio. It's kind of refreshing. It is actually, it was actually quite a fun to camera to use, and I didn't think I'd ever say that. It, yeah, it's it's the tactile experience of using it wasn't great. It's all plastic. It's all plastic and rubber. There's no sort of no sort of haptic feedback about any any use of the camera. But looking through that viewfinder, it was actually quite fun to use. So that's all I want to say on that maybe give another star to the Minolta Reaver Panorama. Not that I gave it any stars in the first place. Anyway, that's all I wanted to say about that camera, just to just correct it a little bit. Anyway, that's probably it for today. This episode has run a lot longer than, than normal. So we'll wrap this up. You can find me personally on Instagram, Neil underscore Piper. And Soot and Whitewash has its own Instagram account. Uh, which is just soot and whitewash. You can see my work as well on my personal website, which is neilpiper.com. If you want to get in touch, like Bruce did and like several other people have in the past, you can hit me up via email, sootandwhitewash at gmail.com, um, or you can go on Anchor, the Anchor app on your mobile phone, and you can send me a voice recording, however you like. be great to hear from you guys. Do what Bruce did. Be like Bruce. Send me in an email, ask me something that I know about, ask me something that I know loads about, ask me something I know nothing about. It's always fun to research new stuff. Cool, it's been great talking to you guys tonight, and I shall speak to you again soon. Bye.